0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series titled His Story, Our Story. Rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story. It's the story, and it's also our story. Thanks for joining us.
1: So, have you ever heard these words? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Many recognize where that's from? Star Wars. 1977, that first Star Wars movie was on the screens and it captured the imagination of millions of people. The fact that you could just laugh when I said that shows that many of us have heard it before. And what's amazing about that is when George Lucas crafted those words, he immediately drew us in. It's so powerful that I remember I was on a flight to California years ago, and I was sitting next to this couple, and I just began to get acquainted with them, and they explained to me that they were on this plane headed to Anaheim, California for an international conference on the Star Wars characters and that they were two of the characters. They told me which ones they were going to be dressed up as, and that they would go all throughout the year to children's hospitals and just try and bring some joy to kids' lives by helping them think about these story characters from some of their favorite movies. They also told me that there was a number of other people on the plane that were headed to the same conference, and they were able to help me understand which ones were Jedis and which ones were not. So I found that fascinating. Now, I bring all that up because today we're going to talk about the power of story. And we're starting a new series today called His Story, Our Story. And this first introductory message, I want to talk to you a lot about what do you think of when you hear story? And how does that play out in your life? And so I want to invite you, if you would, to turn uh, to Luke chapter 24 in your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind taking out your Bibles. And uh, we have some hopefully in the seat rack near you, black Bibles as well, page 859 if you're using one of those, but Luke is in the last fourth of the Bible. And we're going to look primarily at verses 44 through 49 today, and we're going to look at how Jesus helps some people understand God's story and their story. Now... As we do that, uh, if you can multitask, if you're following on the notes, here's the question I'd like to think about with you today. And here it is. Why is it important to know the overarching story of the Bible? Why is it important to know the overarching story of the Bible? This series we're talking about is going to be a study through the narrative arc of Scripture, the the narrative storyline of Scripture. Why is it so important to know that? And I I don't know about you, but what, what I've learned about myself is stories are some of the way that I make sense of the world. And where I am in that story or how I identify with different stories, I learn a lot that way. But here's the two reasons I would give you why we need this message and why this is so important. First of all, I cannot be influenced by that which I do not know. If I don't know the story... It has no possibility of affecting me. But if I know the story, then the possibility is there. But the other reason we know it is because in the United States, there is this common misunderstanding that if we know the story, that in itself will change our lives. And it won't. That's not enough. It's possible to know the story backwards and forwards and not be able to see how it connects to our lives. So we need not only to know the story, if it's going to have any possibility of affecting us, but we also need God's help to understand that story so we can see our part in that story. And as we think about this today, I want to just ask if you'd pray with me, and then we're going to look at, first of all, what do we mean when we say story? Then we're going to look at this interaction that Jesus had with his disciples as he helped them grapple with this same challenge. And then we're going to talk about what is our part in God's story? What would it look like if we understood that better? So would you mind praying with me, please? Lord, I am, I am just so full of gratitude to you for your story. And I am thankful for the opportunity to be in this room with these people at this moment. And I ask Lord that you would be our teacher I hope everyone here knows I need you to work in my life as much as any person in this room. And I just pray you'll use our gathering together to help us understand what we need to understand so we can live a better story. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so uh, right out of the gates there, when we talk about story, what goes into your mind? Some people, when they hear story, they go, please don't say it's God's story because that sounds like it's make-believe. To me, story sounds like something made up. But here's a definition uh, that, I found, that I found helpful, and that's this. A story is an account of imaginary or real people and events. So a story can be either. It can be a story of imaginary people and events, or it can be a story of real people and events. Now, uh, I think about this. We use this language a lot more nowadays. In fact, uh, a few years ago, I was down in Kentucky. I was, uh, had the opportunity, I was invited to speak to a bank board over a couple different days, do some devotionals with them. Many of them were Christians. And so I was staying in a cottage uh, that was provided for me. It was a two-bedroom cottage. And they put me in the same cottage with a person I'd never met before. And so after our dinner and everything, we came back. And, of course, there's that awkwardness of not knowing each other. And this guy immediately just said, hey, would you mind if we sat down? Tell me your story. And I remember as soon as he said that, I thought, okay, uh, where do I start? What do I include? How do I not bore him? What, what, What does he mean by that? What's he looking for? So I just started sharing a few things. And then I said, hey, tell me your story. But while I was telling my story, he goes, now, let me ask this. Did you you mean this and stuff like that? And over the next two and a half hours, I had one of the most unbelievable conversations with someone I'd never met before, all because we started sharing our stories with each other. What do we mean? Our life story, different events, different things that had happened. And as we did that, we all of a sudden saw connection. We all of a sudden saw some overlap. Uh, Eventually, later that year, my wife and I would travel out to Boulder, Colorado, and spend time with him and his wife, who I learned was part of his story. I learned more that he lived in Boulder, Colorado. I learned that he was a filmmaker. I learned all these things I didn't know before, all by getting to know his story. You have a story. I have a story. And what we're learning about the Bible is God has a story. But if we don't understand that account, now here's what some people believe about the Bible, and they're entitled to their opinion on this, is that the Bible is full of fairy tales, myths, fables, and legends. What does that mean? It's either imaginary or irrelevant, it's not necessarily history, it's not necessarily real. So when you think about that, I don't know where you're at with the Bible, but it's our hope that as we study the narrative arc of the Bible, that you will find yourself believing that it's based on real people and real events that have something to do with your life and mine. So as we think about this, let me just talk to you now about the account that Jesus has in uh, Luke 24. And in order to set this up, you need to know that the last chapter of Luke's gospel is recording the resurrection of Jesus. He's been crucified on Friday. He rises again on Sunday morning. And when that happens, that part of the story throws everybody else in the story for a loop especially as followers. And if you're following along, notice that Jesus' followers are troubled and don't get what's going on. That's the context. Jesus' followers are troubled and don't get what's going on. We learn back up in 38, he actually uses that word troubled. If you go back and see one of his other encounters that day, you see that a couple other people were downcast. They were filled with like, we thought it was gonna go like this and it didn't go like that. Anybody relate to that? We thought our story was going this way, and then it went this way. Huh. And so they're just, they don't get it. And it's not for a lack of trying. So Jesus, if we pick it up in verse 44 and 45, I've listed those verses in the first gray box there, uh, begins to interact with them. Would you read it with me? This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Now notice this. Jesus' followers are troubled and don't get what's going on, but notice what he does. Jesus opens their minds to see the bigger story. Jesus opens their minds to see the bigger story. He says, part of what your problem is, is you're only seeing your part of the story. You need to understand that you have a story within a larger story, a bigger story. Sometimes when people read the Bible, they go, I don't understand how this connects to this. I don't understand why this is in the Bible. What does that have to do with anything? What does it have to do? You may have had those same questions. So here's this series sentence. Here's what we're wrestling with together these next 12, 11 weeks. Let's read it together. Rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story, it's the story, and it is also our story. And this is what Jesus helps them begin to see. Now, when I talk about bigger story, over the years, I've shared a video clip with this church family a number of times. Some of you likely have seen it. It's uh, about uh, something I I saw and heard out in California years ago. Wayne Cordero, a pastor from Hawaii, shared this. And uh, you'll notice right away that this is over 20 years old. So the Hawaiian shirt he's wearing then would not be popular now. Don't let that throw you. Listen to what he says, okay?
0: Assignment. Now, our assignment here is powerful, but our time is short. And he says, now, I've given you eternity. Now, if I were to somehow describe to you eternity, I'd shoot a line as far as I could, right through that wall. Bring it right through this auditorium and shoot it out as far as you could see till it disappeared over both horizons. And I'd say, you see that line that goes as far left and as right as you can ever imagine? That's like eternity. It's just, it's endless, timeless. This time continuum just goes on forever. Our life on the face of this earth, how long is that in comparison to eternity? I take out a pen and I draw a vertical scratch so you see the width of that scratch that's about how long our life is on this earth compared to eternity and you know there's people on that scratch that's all they have is a scratch and we have eternity so God says but I'm going to put you on that scratch because there's people that just they just, they, they think that's all they have they love the scratch they hold on to the scratch, they hoard for the scratch, they hug the scratch, they kiss the scratch, mwah, mwah, mwah. they try to elongate the scratch as long as it can go. They live scratch lives and have scratch hopes, they have scratch dreams, they even drive scratch cars. <laughs> but God so loved the scratch that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish from the scratch. But of everlasting life. Do you catch that? Amen. And God says, now don't forget who you are. You see, God saved you and he put a message of eternity in your heart and he put you back on the scratch. Now, he's going to say to you and me, now, you don't have that much time, but there's people dying on the scratch and there's a message of eternal life that I'd like you to deliver. Will you be my ambassadors? You see, if God's only desire in saving you was to get you to heaven, then as soon as you would have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he would have killed you. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. His goal is done. No use you hanging around here taking up room. (laughs) But instead, he saved you. He put a message in your heart, and he stuck you back on the scratch, and he said, would you go and represent me? To those that are dying on the scratch. Because they don't have much time. And you know what happens? We get on the scratch and we forget who we are.
1: So here's what I want you to see if you're, if you're thinking about that illustration of the scratch. So I drew up here on the whiteboard this line from end to end that looks like, again, like it would go on both directions, okay? And here's this red line. I don't know if you can see it, but there's this red line that represents the scratch where you and I are right now. What we're talking about in this series is that the Bible reveals a story, an overarching story all over eternity of what God has done and is doing. And what most of us, even if we understand that much, what we need God to be able to do in our lives is to connect how that scratch relates to the overarching story. If we don't, then that overarching story can have no influence on our lives like it was meant to, and we can't see ourselves in that overarching story. We may think that this scratch is all there is. And I know people that think this scratch is all there is, and I can tell you that it's hard to navigate life when that's all there is. So as we think about this, if you're following along, um, I want you to see in this series that the Bible is the story of what God has done and is doing. The Bible is the story of what God has done and is doing. And in it, what Jesus says to his disciples in the next few verses are important. If you're following along, what he says is that God's story offers true redemption and hope. God's story offers true redemption and hope. Let me read verse 46. We saw in verse 45 that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. In other words, Even though this world is not the way it's supposed to be, God has been working to redeem, restore, and offer hope for failure, for sin, for brokenness. He is doing something. He has done something. Do you know about it? Are you aware of it? Are you aware of this overarching story of what God is at work doing? Jesus says, because this is important if you're gonna have any way of navigating through life with a sense of confidence, with a sense of concern, with a sense of motivation from the inside out. Notice, along with that, that God cares for us so much, if you're following along, God cares for us so much that he wrote himself into the story. God cares for us so much that he wrote himself into the story I was thinking a number of years ago I once read or heard someone say if Shakespeare wanted to interact with the characters that he writes about so that they could know him personally, he would have to write himself into the story because otherwise they can't interact with him because he's outside the story. What God has done is write himself into the story. What Jesus helped them understand when he was spending time on earth is, I didn't just start at Bethlehem. I have been before all time, and I became a human being so that you could understand what I'm saying, so you could know that I wear the same human flesh, so that you could know that I know your story, and you can know God's story. Amazing that God would do that. The other thing that we see is that God's story centers on Jesus coming for all nations. God's story centers on Jesus, and it centers on Jesus coming for all nations. I read that already in verse 47, but he said that forgiveness of sins, repentance, and for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. What's that mean? That God's story is is bigger than your story or my story. It's bigger than the United States. It's, bi- it's big. It's the whole world. And when you and I begin to understand that we were made for something bigger than ourselves, now all of a sudden life takes on a different tone. And when people begin to be touched by that and grasped by that, now all of a sudden they can begin to beat with God's heart and understand his story. But notice that If you're following along, he helps them see themselves and their part in God's story. He helps them see themselves and their part in God's story. If you read verse 48, he says this, you are witnesses of these things. (laughs) It kind of makes me laugh. He's basically saying, "You've, you've been part of the story. You just couldn't make sense of it. You've been right in the middle of the story. You didn't even realize you're witnesses of these things. In fact, You're going to actually tell other people about what you've witnessed. And when they hear about it, it's going to change their lives. You're actually part of the story. They had not seen themselves in God's story like that before. But Jesus helped them see that God's story wasn't just about God. God's story was also about them. And when that begins to happen, friends, it's no longer God's a far off God. It's no longer like, well, that's good for you or good for other people. All of a sudden you go, I get it. I get it. Problem is, I don't know if I've got enough power to do that because I know myself and I know my story and how up and down it is. So now here's this next line. Can I just be totally honest? Some of you, half of you, have the wrong line. Because when I was doing the notes, I didn't do both sides of the notes accurately. So some of you have the next line, something about she and Mary. And that's not part of this story today, Okay. (laughs) So if I'm gonna, we're gonna put it up on the. uh, My wife, by the way, got one of those copies. So right after the service, I found out last service that that had happened. She was nice about it. But anyway, so here it is. He promises to empower them as they join Jesus on mission. That's what your your notes are supposed to say. If it doesn't say that, he promises to empower them as they join Jesus on mission. In other words, he doesn't just say, look, you're part of the story. He says, and I know some of you are worried about whether or not you're gonna be able to live into that story. That's understandable. But he says in verse 49, what we've been learning before Christmas is the Holy Spirit, who I will send when I'm no longer physically here, will act just like I acted on earth, even though he's invisible, and he'll help you. He'll empower you to be able to do more than you could do. So I think we have verse 49 there on the screen. Here's what he says. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And that's exactly what happened. And they did have power as everyday and ordinary as they were to live a better story. And one of the reasons that I'm standing up here on stage and we're all gathered here is we're talking about something that was recorded because that's exactly what happened. All because he helped them make the connection with the overarching story that also includes us and not just them. And so how do we understand God's story and our part in it? How do we get there? Jesus got them there. How does he get us there? And for those of us that he's helped get us there in the past, how do we live more fully into it? Because I don't know about you, but my life is like this sometimes. It's not just straight up and to the right of constant growth. It's messier than that. So how do we understand our part in God's story? And as we think about this, I want to just read something that I read this week. One author writes this. Is there a true story of the whole world in which I'm called to live my life? Is there a true story? of the whole world in which I'm called to live my life. Leslie Newbigin puts it this way, the way we understand human life depends on what conception we have of the human history. What is the real story of which my life is a part? Is there a real story that provides a framework of meaning for all people in all times and places and therefore for my own life in the world? Many people today have abandoned the hope of discovering such a real story. They would argue that a true account of the world can't be found. That individuals and communities must be content with the separate meanings to be discovered in their own more modest and limited stories. But the Christian believes that there is one true story. The story told in the Bible. It begins with God's creation and human rebellion and runs through the history of Israel to Jesus and on through the church, moving to the coming of the kingdom of God. At the very center of this story is the man called Jesus in whom God has revealed his fullest purpose and meaning for the world. Only in this narrative can we discover the meaning of human history and thus meaning the meaning of your life and mine. So I want to invite you, if you would, to turn your notes over to the back there. Just to give you some idea, when we keep talking about God's story, the narrative arc of the Bible, what do we mean? And here's the outline of where we're going the next 11 weeks after today. And we're going to just work through understanding creation, fall, promise, slavery, exodus, the law, kingdom, exile, return, incarnation, new creation. And as we do, I know that some of you, you may not be there yet. You're not even sure what you think about the Bible. I'm so glad you're here. And I would just humbly invite you that if you'd be willing to engage with these stories and see where it takes you. And those of us that have heard these stories before, that we would humbly engage and not act like we know everything there is to know about that. Not act like we understand all that God wants us to know. And as we do that together, I believe God's going to use that. Now, there's a couple things we're doing alongside this series. The reason why we've offered the Bible reading plan that we have is because in many ways, apart from this summer when we'll study the Psalms, it goes through the narrative arc of the Bible and you have a chance to read it for yourself. But also up here on the stage, each week we're going to add a different piece of artwork that reminds us of these different pieces of the storyline. And we're hoping that as we get to the end of this series, we're going to be able to say, oh, now I see how that relates to that. Now I see what God was doing. I never understood that before. Now I understand it better. We're praying that that happens. So if you turn your notes back over, here's at least a couple things that we need to understand, to to do to understand our place in God's story. First, to understand our place in God's story involves getting to know the narrative arc of the Bible. It involves getting to know the narrative arc of the Bible, and I already showed you what some of that was. Now, let me just say that if you are trying to also help your children, or if you don't have children, uh, you're trying to understand. There are actually a couple children's books that adults have told me that they get as much out of as when they read to their kids. Okay, And here they are. The first one. It's called The Jesus Storybook Bible. Sally Lloyd-Jones has done a fantastic job capturing the storyline of the Bible in this book. Uh, Brian Schwarberg has told me many times while he's reading it to his boys, he's actually found himself saying, wow, this helps me appreciate the Bible even more. And so this may be something that you wanna do. We've gotten this for our grandkids, and again, it's just been something that we really appreciate. The second one is uh, by David Hellman. It's called The Big Picture Story Bible. Again, what we're trying to learn is, is if I only know certain ideas in the Bible, how do I know the storyline of the Bible? How can I get to the place where I'm at least familiar with it? Because I can't be affected by that which I don't know. But also, how can I do it with other people in some cases? So those are some ideas. Now, I don't know if you know, but we partner with several missionaries, one of whom is the Fowler family, and some of you may have met Craig and Allison Fowler and their kids before. Trish and I, about seven years ago, along with Brian Schwarberg and my brother and sister-in-law, went over to Ethiopia to do some training there. And we had a chance to see the followers at work. When Craig and Allison decided to go out to some of the more remote parts of Ethiopia and find a way to start planting churches there, the way that they did, their strategy was to tell stories from the Bible. And I got a chance to Skype with uh, Craig this week and just say, what are you learning about storying? That's what they call it. Because many cultures different than our culture uh, are oral cultures. And the thing is, is that even our culture engages with stories powerfully. And so here's what Craig uh, wrote. And uh, I appreciated what he said. He said, the idea of story is a really interesting concept. I've learned a lot as I've worked with people who are oral learners, like the Gamuz people I work with, as opposed to the literate learners, like many educated Americans. At the core, we are all story people, but we story differently. One thing I notice about the Bible now is that some of the books are more literate and some of the books are more oral in their telling. Ultimately, the gospel, the good news, is a story that is still happening and includes all of us today. It is a story about how God created something good and how it all fell apart and how God is in the process of restoring it, redeeming it. People didn't invent the idea of story. God did, and I think it's a pretty good idea, he writes. I do too, and that's what we're gonna spend time doing these first three and a half months of the year. So first, it involves getting to know the narrative arc of the Bible. Second, it requires asking the Lord to open the scriptures to us. It requires asking the Lord to open the scriptures to us. At some point, if we don't understand, we have a couple options. We can say, I don't understand because it's not important to understand it, or it can't be understood, or we can say, I don't understand, but I need help for someone to explain it to me because it is possible to understand it. I just don't understand it. And this requires humility And I want to ask if you have the humility to ask the Lord to open the scriptures to you. This actually is so important. Why? Because it's the difference of how your heart operates. Do you notice the next line there? Is that understanding our place in God's story sets our hearts on fire to live with purpose in this world? Understanding our place in God's story sets our hearts on fire to live with purpose in this world. So I told you when we first started this narrative that these disciples, that they were troubled. They were downcast. They, they really, were, they didn't get it. But when Jesus opened their eyes, when he opened scripture to them, all of a sudden their hearts began to burn. That didn't mean that they had warm feelings. It meant that all of a sudden they go, ah. Oh. And it changed their imagination for their everyday life. If if you notice there, the second gray box, I've listed verse 32 from Luke 24. Would you read it with me, please? They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Friends, I I know some of you have heard part of my story many times, but this is my story. I had the opportunity to be raised in the church to have a dad who was a pastor and grandparents who were Bible study leaders. I had good youth leaders. I had teachers in my classes that were fantastic at helping me learn the narrative arc of the Bible. I'm grateful for that because you can't be influenced by that which you do not know. But what happened is by the time I was 15, I realized that while I knew the Bible pretty well, I didn't understand what it had to do with my life. And so one night when I was 15, I had been reading the Bible that night because our youth leaders were encouraging us to do that. And I remember turning off my light, closing my Bible. I think I had just been reading the miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 people plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. As I lay in bed there, I had the most honest conversation I've ever had it was really me trying to say, God, I, I, don't, I don't get the connection. And I just said to him, Lord, I can repeat this story backwards and forward. I, I know almost all the details of it, but I have no idea how it connects my life or my life connects to it, to you. And so you're going to have to open my eyes if you expect me to live this life with you. Would you please open my eyes? no fireworks. I went to sleep. About a month later, I was at a conference with other kids, high school kids up in Wisconsin. And during the week, we were supposed to start our mornings by reading the Bible individually. And so I was reading my Bible. And during that week, I don't know any other way to explain it except that it was like God put stuff in the Bible while I was asleep. And as I read, I began to see I began to see what he was doing. I began to see the connections. I began to understand how it related to my family or people at high school. And I saw that he was speaking right to me and it was totally different. And all of a sudden, I realized that I was interacting with the author. And I have never been the same. I haven't learned all there is to learn. And even on Sundays, there's many times when I'm standing down front worshiping with you and saying, Lord, I just sang that line, but I don't necessarily know what it means. Would you help me understand that better? And the more that I do that, the more I've found that God is ready to help us if we're humbly willing to ask. And the difference between walking through life with our hearts set on fire and our hearts not on fire is the whole difference. So, Yesterday, I was having breakfast with a man in this church, and I said, hey, tell me your story of how you came to know Christ, and I've really appreciated this guy, and he said, well, I was um, baptized and confirmed in the church, and he said, I would always say I've believed God, but I would tell you that I believed in God the way I believe that grass is green is a fact, but he said, I had no idea what it had to do with my life, and it made no difference in my life. But he said, then I moved to Springfield. He was part of a church here in town where a pastor was teaching the Bible. He said, in such a way that I would go home and I would understand how it practically related to my life. He said, maybe it was just my heart hadn't been ready before, but God began to do something in my life. And now I see life differently than I did then. And that's what he wants for you and me. So here's the closing prayer that I just wrote. And if you're interested in praying it, maybe this would be a good one for you to pray as we go through this series. Lord, teach me your story so I can live a better story with you. Lord, teach me your story so that I can live a better story with you. And that is the good news is that God wants us to know his story so we can live a better story with him. So as we prepare for communion, can I tell you a story? On the night that he was betrayed. Jesus took bread with his disciples and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. He was saying, this is a symbol, what's going to happen tomorrow. I want you to eat it and remember me. After supper, he took a cup saying, this cup has the Crush grapes in it that represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. And I want you to, every time you drink this cup, I want you to remember that I gave my body and my blood to redeem you, to restore you, to give you hope, and that I care about you. Every time, remember that, and that I'm coming back. And so, when you and I take communion... We know that the reason why is because we all forget God's story, and we all forget our place in God's story. And sometimes we have a hard time making sense of our story. So the early Christians, to remind themselves every time they would take communion, they often repeated different lines. Here's three that some Christians have repeated for hundreds of years. Would you read it with me? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. And what we do in communion is that we remember that now we have the opportunity to live on the right side of the cross instead of the left side. That we get to live in all the hope and redemption that we understand so far. But we also know that Christ is coming back. And in between now and then, he has a purpose for us. And he's up to something that we can join him in. And so when you think about that, I hope you'll be encouraged. I don't know when you walked in this room how you're doing. You may be crushed by the things happening in your story. Maybe you feel like your story is headed towards a sad ending. Maybe you've gone through a chapter that has been the hardest of your life. But right in the middle of your story, Jesus says, remember me. Remember what I've done and what I'm doing. And find hope in a relationship with me. Because I'm writing myself into your story. So, let me pray before we take communion. Now, Jesus, we would humbly ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes. You would open the scriptures to us that we might live in your story and live a better story. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.